Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. indicators who knows where this is going to end up to understand the economy you have to understand human nature how you doing there it's david as the podcast hope you had a good week i've had quite a strange strange week the country's had a strange week in fact internationally it's been a very odd week with the coronavirus but you know the score we're here to try and make economics more comprehensible, a little bit more understandable, and hopefully just a little bit more relevant to all our lives. I'm here with your man. How are you, Head? Very good. How are you? I believe you were off hobnobbing with real brain boxes. Oh, yeah. Proper brain boxes. Yeah. yeah, yeah Go yeah. on, tell us. Brian Cox, you know, professor. I love Brian Cox. Yeah. I'm uh, such a fan. I was I was over in London at a, a little sort of think tank thing with him and uh, it was really impressive to be just talking to someone like that who who's got this extremely brilliant way of explaining his world yeah you know really gentle touch as well incredibly smiley that's yeah yeah that he's a big smiley. smiley head on him but he's also got that fucking north of england accent you know which <laughs> is not which is really nice you know yeah he's from oldham and uh do you know he'd be a great guy to get at Jockey Book Festival? Well, you know, we'll, let's let's uh, let's let's see that that's all the the, yeah. the the things are in motion. The things are in motion, <laughs> but it was great. And you know what's really nice is talking to physicists about uh, the beginning of time, yeah, and and matter and where we come from and where we're going, and the sense in which they also take the view that this, you know, what I really got the impression talking to him, and I also talked to another. A couple of physicists and, and and cosmologists was the extent to which we could be on our own here. That what in the universe? Yeah, and I just don't go with that though. Well, I don't go with it because I don't know enough. But these guys know quite a bit, and and I, I, there was there was there was he wasn't saying that was he? No, he was just saying that you know there's a there's a good chance there's a good chance that in this particular galaxy we're we're on our top. In the galaxy. Although I find that hard to believe. I mean, put it this way, as, as one guy put it, if you take every grain of sand on every beach and every desert on this planet, it still wouldn't cover all the stars in the in the sky, stars and galaxies and stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and with those kind of numbers, which are mind-boggling, I cannot believe that we are the only living organisms. You know, other organisms mightn't be humanoid or even carbon-based, but... There could be anything, you know, and, you know, the chances of not having life on other planets is just beyond well, me. Well, I suppose what I'm, what I'm talking about here, Head, is the fact that he was making the point, Brian Cox was making the point at this discussion, 
that the environment is so fragile and the stakes are so high yeah. and made higher in terms of environmental degradation and global warming and all this sort of stuff we're talking about, if you imagine that this could be unique, so that not only do we destroy this planet, but that this planet is the only thing out there. And I thought it was a really okay, interesting... Yeah, yeah. That's his point. But anyway, very interesting, geezer. And it was a lovely, great afternoon in London there during the week. Oh, and then, of course, I came back home here and it was up the ra. <laughs> up the ra, Chucky our law, the whole thing. What's going on? I've been trying to follow this and I kind of switch off after a while because it's you start hearing the, the same old stuff. But I'm trying to figure out all the shenanigans between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and... Sinn Féin, and I hear a lot about, you know, if there's a second election called, you know, is that a, a blight on our democracy and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, there is this split between the kind of the old generation who are totally anti-Sinn Féin and the younger generation who are kind of pro-Sinn Féin for different reasons, you know, for the housing and all that kind of stuff. And then it's all the number crunching as what kind of coalition is there going to be and stuff. So the, the, the question I want to ask you then is, are we heading for a coalition? And if so, what kind? Or are we heading for a new election? Well, the, I think the moral of the last uh, week in politics is don't get locked in a pub in Waterford <coughs> after you win by 20,000 votes and roar out up the ra, yeah. right? Did you see the poor whore, your man Cullinan, yeah. on Monday morning, Mary Lou was like your ma. Do you know if you've ever done a bad thing when you were a kid in school? I remember in our road, I remember breaking somebody's window with a football, right? And my mother kind of dragged me. Yeah, the, the Devitts. Devitt. It was the Devitts. And my mother dragging me up to Mr. Devitt yeah. and kind of slapped me around the head and said, apologise to that man, even though I hit the window, not the man, right? And it reminded me, that it was like an Irish mammy Mary Lou grabs your man Cullinan, puts him in front of the cameras and say, say sorry now, you're sorry for that. And he's like, Clip around the ear. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the Shinners will obviously now spend the rest of the next couple of weeks trying to rein in their Chucky or Law stuff, right? Yeah. But I, I say with little success. With little success. And and, and Fina Fall and Fina Gale are going to be prodding that anyway. They're going to be prodding. But I think, where do we go next, right? It's clear now that the key battleground is a battle for the heart and soul of the Fianna Fáil party. And I say this because of the following. The amalgamated left, led by Sinn Féin, do not have enough seats. Fianna Gael have offered themselves out from doing a deal with Sinn Féin, leaving only Fianna Fáil, who can either form a grand coalition with Fianna Gael themselves and the Green Party. Which would be a big U-turn. Which would be a big U-turn. Or even a bigger U-turn, maybe, themselves... Sinn Féin and the Green Party. Yeah. So the question now is, who is more acceptable to Fianna Fáil than either Sinn Féin or Fianna Gael? A and bigger U-turn, by the way, is going around in circles. A bigger U-turn. Well, we will go around. This This could take two or three months. This could take a long, long time. Which, by the way, I know we're going off track here, is a problem given that we're in a pretty crucial year for negotiating Brexit and the finer details of Brexit. Brexit. Do you not think? Brexit, schmexit. You know, I'm bored of Brexit, right? No, I know, but The point is that the European Union is now going to negotiate with Brexit. We are not going to be part of that negotiation. We are not going to be the weakest link in the chain as we were before the transition, okay? Mm. So, but let's come back. Let's come back. Because I think Brexit's been used particularly by the very conservative media 
Brexit's all about the Irish obsession with what other people think of us, right? You, you made a holy show of us over there in England, right? <laughs> Go up there and apologise to that man. Exactly. So let's park Brexit for a second. What we're in is something much deeper, which is the heart and soul of the Fianna Fáil party, right? The Fianna Fáil party has to decide what is more tolerable to them, a coalition with Sinn Féin mm. or a coalition with Fine Gael. And this goes to the heart of what Fianna Fáil is. And I find this fascinating. Fianna Fáil now is split between the Sinn Féin wing of Fianna Fáil and the PD, Progressive Democrat wing of Fianna Fáil. This is about, there is a Republican element in Fianna Fáil, very, very deep. If you think about Sinn Féin, if you go back to the start, Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil are from the same gene pool. Yeah, they are Republicans, old IRA, new IRA, Republican people, right? Fianna Fáil then remains the Republican Party in the 50s, 60s. So like in the 50s, it's run by Lamas. Lamas was a shooter. Yeah. It's run by De Valera. These were the old revolutionary guards. By the 1970s, you get the beginning of a change. You have, of course, Hawhey's very Republican with the gun running. Mm. But by the late 70s, 80s, Fianna Fáil is beginning to change. And that was first exemplified by the split in Fianna Fáil after Jack Lynch resigned in 1979 between George Colley, who I would say was a more of a PD, yeah. supported by Desi O'Malley, and of course, Hahi, who was very much a gunrunner, very much a Republican, right? Yeah. I, I have I have a, a vague memory of this going yeah, on. Yeah, this is, this is something, I, my cousins down in Cork, I have cousins in, in, in a place called Balavorni, who you know, there's, yeah. there, there's my cousins, the triplets, they're actually triplets, but they're yeah. referred to as the three twins in the village because <laughs> they couldn't get their head around the fact that they were triplets in the 60s, you know. And, uh, and they're a real proper Fianna Fáil family. So I'd be exposed to this when I was a kid, yeah. whereas we'd never have any of that sort of stuff up around here in Dunleary. Mm. But I'd go down there and I'd listen to them. I remember as a child listening to my uncles and they'd be talking, they'd be West Cork and they're proper Republicans, but they all were in a state of flux as to which way to go. Yeah. So Fianna Fáil has always had the Republican side. And during the 1990s, there's been what I would call the PD side, the Progressive Democrats, mm. right? So basically you have... The progressive Democrats are much closer to Fine Gael. The old Republicans are much closer to Sinn Féin. The way you can see this in terms of two individuals at the moment is Eamon O'Keeve, Dev Ogue, yeah. De Valera's son or grandson? Grandson, right? Grandson, yeah. Versus Jim O'Callaghan, the Dublin uh, Central TD. Jim O'Callaghan's saying, we should do no deals with Sinn Féin, much better to do deals with Fine Gael. The other fella, Dev Og, saying, we want to do, we want to remain pure. So you've got a battle between the traditionalists, the old Dev side, yeah. and the reformers. And I see this very much like in the UK, the Conservative Party. The Conservative Party was split between the One Nation Tories and the Eurosceptics. The Eurosceptics are the sort of Brexit jihadis that I'd call. Mm. And they are much closer in Fianna Fáil terms to the old Republican Fianna Fáilers who want to get him to bed with Sinn Féin. And the One Nation Tories, the Ken Clarks, are much closer to what I would call the PD-biased Fianna Fáilers. Mm. And they are the ones who say, you know what, let's hold our nose and get into a coalition with Fine Gael. So what we have here is something quite interesting. There is the potential 
for the Fianna Fáil party to split on the core issue of who is more reprehensible, Sinn Féin or Fine Gael. Micheál Martin clearly wants to go into a coalition with Fine Gael as the least worst option. Yeah. And maybe that's because Fianna Fáil's traditional working class Republican vote, which was rock solid mm. for 70 years, has begun to be chipped away by Sinn Féin and was won by Sinn Féin last week. I can't believe, though, that Fianna Fáil would go that far to actually split. I think they, they would go for a, a new election before No, they, they won't, because they really? know if they go for a new election, there's the big risk is that Sinn Féin run more candidates, get more seats, Fianna Fáil becomes less powerful. That's the one risk. Yeah. There's an outside chance that the middle-of-the-road person who went for Sinn Féin, kind of as a protest vote, thinks, mm, I've made it. my protest Yeah, now. yeah, I've kind of buyer's remorse. Yeah. Don't like that up the raw stuff in particular. I might go back to Fianna Fáil or even back to Fianna Gael. Yeah. But that's a very big risk for Fianna Fáil to run, which is it probably more, a less risky option. Get into bed with Fine Gael and the Greens, mm. have this centrist coalition, try and execute policy on housing that basically takes Sinn Féin's policy, which is to nationalise the housing issue, takes that as a central policy, try and deliver it and hope that Sinn Féin has peaked. Wasn't That's that, one strategy. Wasn't it Eamon O'Keefe, sorry, just there's another little aside, but wasn't it Eamon O'Keefe who said in the financial meltdown of 2008 that we should all pray because he believed in the power of prayer? Well, you know, <laughs> it is, it's a bit like hocus pocus, you know. There is a bit of a worrying trend on those sort of characters. Yeah. And yeah. what the hell did they think we would get out of prayer? Do we know? <laughs> it's a very powerful thing. Was his quote? Well, the thing about it is, you know, it's interesting for us because we're all these cosmopolitan and metropolitan people. Yeah. But, you know, all that sort of mystical Catholicism and mystical notions of Ireland and the land and the field and all these things, these are things that are very, very strong. But I come back to what I think is going to be the key issue this week is going to be the battle for the heart and soul of the Fianna Fáil party. Are they traditionalists? Are they modernizers? Are they people who want to live in the cosmopolitan world? Or are they people who want to live in the Misha era, dewy-eyed nationalism? Yeah. Are they sufficiently close to Fine Gael in everything but their historical baggage to jump that way like the progressive Democrats? Or do they still yearn for the United Ireland, for the Republican idea? Are they a party that is so angry that Sinn Féin has eaten their lunch on the Republican side, mm. that they will try and go more Republican and they feel that's the way the country has gone? Or do they think we are a centrist party with a slightly green bent? And I think that this is the battle that hasn't been focused on because it's only via who wins this will we know, to get back to the top, will the coalition be Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and the Greens? Or is it going to be Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin and the Greens? My sense is it's going to be, if any coalition, it's going to be the former. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael will go in. And this is, this again is Safety. huge. It's huge for them. Mm. 
huge for them. This is like, I mean, I don't get it. We talked about it a while ago that it's, that the one of the single most telling differences was the surnames, who was a Norman, yeah, who was yeah. a Gael, right? But I think that, again, the wonderful thing about the Sinn Féin showing is that it shines a light on some of the bullshit in Irish politics. Like Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are very different. Like we can have two centre right-wing parties indefinitely. Mm. The Sinn Féin surge has actually said, no, you've got to make a choice. Now, very interesting, Napoleon once said, to govern is to choose. Beautiful expression. Go on, okay? explain that in this so context. If you are, if you want to govern, you've got to make choices. If Fianna Fáil want to govern, which they do because they've been out of power for long, mm. they've got to make choices. And their first choice is the really elemental choices. Who are we? And that's what we're going to see in the next 10 days. By the way, just before we start, Sunday, March 15th is the live show. John and I on the stage of the Olympia. Sunday, March 15th. Get your tickets at ticketmaster.ie. So, Mark, apart from all those shenanigans back home here, let's look a little bit global. Yeah. The big story of this, the last month, actually, but it's increasing in intensity, is the whole coronavirus, which yeah. I think we should talk about. it Because I'll be interested to get a take on the economic impact of this. But but actually, before we do, I, I was looking at a lot of, uh, reading a lot of conspiracy theories about the coronavirus. Like everything from... The Gates Foundation in cahoots with the big pharma companies. They have apparently a vaccine ready to go and they can they're going to earn a fortune out of it. But then the other one is that the US apparently have a chemical plant in Georgia and that it, it is a manufactured virus that is a, a bioweapon. Why uh, do you read I, this I, I just get, I go, no, you can't John, be the good only, There's only so theory. many hours in the day. And look, you, you know... I have known you all my life. We have been in many's the scrape together over the years. Indeed. But, man. Conspiracy theories are great, and we never reach the moon. They they don't, yeah. And it was, you know, it was the Nazis on the moon or something, you know. It's Hitler on the moon, right? I think, drop, we'll, we'll keep the conspiracy theory, right? But it's the biggest story in the world right now. Everybody is talking about it everywhere. Because everyone's been affected by it, uh, but it's, it's directly a, or indirectly. It's also got that pandemic feel to it that, mm. you know, this could be spreading. What's very interesting is in the last couple of days, the Chinese government has come out with not an estimate, a confirmation of new cases, which is 10 times more than they suggested before. Yeah, but you know That's, why that is? Because they changed the criteria of the disease so that it that now includes people with regular colds and flu they're just taking precautions so now there's sixty thousand people with the disease that's what they said right but it mightn't be as much as that see this is where all the and this is where conspiracy theories in general come from because there's a lot of misinformation a lot of disinformation floating around the place so people fill in the gaps naturally and there's no editors exactly come in exactly but i mean what I, what I think is the most interesting way or alarming way of looking at this is the question is whether or not 
This is China's Chernobyl. This is a massive, massive moment. What do you mean? Give us a... Well, okay, let's go, let's go back. Let's go back to the... I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of work on, on the history of money and where it came from a paper money at the moment, yeah. right? I'm doing... For, for a project I'm, a, I'm working on. And I'm reading a lot about Chinese ways of government, but the dynastic way of government... Okay, because of course the Chinese were the first people to come going up. Going back paper. centuries now. Yeah, they were yeah. coming up. Actually, going back millennia, going back millennia, right? Okay. And the Chinese had an incredible way of looking at money in the period which was 400 BC. So we're talking about when Greek democracy was beginning to figure out what the world was about. The Chinese had these extraordinarily rigid forms of government. Mm. The reason they did was that China was a place of huge. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com huge, huge conflict for hundreds of years before the dynastic system established itself ruling China, about 200 years BC. Mm. Amazingly, for 22 centuries, the same system ran China from 150-odd years BC to 1912. Now, this is extraordinary. Oh, this really? is ex- Yes, yes. Jeez. And once we begin to understand this, we begin to understand China... And what they came up with was this idea of the celestial kingdom, that the emperor was anointed by the gods, the seat of the dragon, the emperor, and he was the emperor of the, what they called the middle kingdom, or the celestial kingdom. Mm. And the reason they called it the celestial kingdom was that the gods had basically mandated this guy to do what he wanted the wise emperor, not not always the hardest emperor, not always the best fighter. The wise emperor. That wasn't that wasn't necessarily a new idea, though. I mean, the, the Egyptians did the same, and yeah, but the Chinese managed to do it for two thousand years. Yeah. That's what makes it completely yeah, different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, this idea of Roman democracy or the republic or anything. No, but what on. I mean, they 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 saw their pharaoh as a, go- a god, as a god. Well, the Chinese never saw the emperor as a god. They saw him as mandated by the celestial beings. All right, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things was that when he was in power, he had absolute divine right over his subjects, except if he was either unworthy or incapable. 
Mm. And how they signaled unworthiness or an inability to do his job in the Chinese system was if the emperor, say this idea of the dynastic cycle, that the strong emperor comes in, he rules with extraordinary foresight and force, he cedes down to his sons and uh, 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 and yep. his lineage, and then a weak emperor comes in, and that weak emperor is overthrown, and we start again. But the signal for the weak emperor came that the gods were unsatisfied with what he was doing. And that came through, this is the interesting thing, through four issues. Famine, if there was big famine, floods on the Yellow River, yeah. tempests, natural disasters, and disease. So these were the four reasons that would give the populace permission to rise up against the emperor, which they did in many cases, because yeah, these yeah, yeah. dynasties came from That's dynasties, came from dynasties, right? And I, the interesting thing, the word for power, the signal for power in Chinese is three dots for water and a dam because they were obsessed by controlling the water in the Yellow River, which was basically the source of Chinese culture yeah. okay, and Chinese irrigation. So, interestingly, so that's Chinese history, Confucian history. And then, of course, the communists come in, and under the peasant emperor, Mao Zedong, they get rid of what Mao got rid of all this. They said, any suggestion that we've any link to dynastic Confucian China is backward, and we can never have that link. And that was the case from, let's say, the 1950s up to the 1980s. Yeah. Now, interestingly, the new guy, Xi Jinping, has we know, centralized more power than anybody else. But in so doing, he also encouraged, and this is really strange, he also encouraged Chinese to begin to study dynastic imperial Chinese history. And he introduced, for the first time since Mao, what they call Confucian schools, so kids could learn Confucian theory. Right, right? okay. And interestingly, so too, in terms of the strong men of the world, has Putin and Erdogan. Putin, again, a born communist, a KGB yeah. member, has presided over the flourishing of the Orthodox religion and echoes of Romanov history. Yeah, yeah, you going can all the way us, back yeah. there. And even their TV shows and their soap operas going back to the Romanovs, exactly the same in Turkey. Erdogan adopts, I am the president of the secular republic. The secular republic was the cornerstone of what they call Kemalist Turkey. Yeah. Erdogan is now talking about the Ottoman Empire. They're going back to the Ottomans. So the, these strong men are seeking legitimacy, not in political power like the party they came from, but in some sort of historic, almost emperor figure. And of course, the, the other big power is Fianna Fáil. That's <laughs> what you're just talking about. Can we, you know, going back to, to Sinn Féin and yeah, Coo Cullen. Coo and Cullen and all that stuff. So what you have is this romanticizing of history. Now, the interesting, the reason I'm talking about all this, yeah, right? Yeah, go on. Is that in the last three weeks, since the coronavirus has been seen, and this is back to the Chernobyl point, mm. so the original reaction of the Communist Party in China was to say, nothing to see here. This is not a problem. In fact, they suppressed everything about how bad this was. Now, did you ever watch the Chernobyl TV series? Yeah, I did, actually, yeah. Do you remember the original reaction of the Politburo? Yeah. Was they were told last because the apparatchiks were afraid to tell them. So everybody denied. They said, oh, yeah, well, there's a, I, think, I think there's been a little bit of fire there. And nobody said the bloody roof had blown off the thing. Yeah. And there was 
you know, nuclear nuclear waste in the air. Yeah. And the fireman was saying, so nobody told the fireman this could be a problem. Nobody told the apparatchik. The apparatchiks didn't tell anybody. They were all afraid. So suddenly the chain of command from the incident to the top becomes fractured. It's this idea that the quality of information, again, another thing Napoleon said, yeah. the quality of information gets much worse as you go closer to the top. And when you get to the top, to the emperor, he knows nothing at all because everyone's shit scared to tell him. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And the same thing is going on in China. Now, the reason I come back is because when it became apparent that this is much worse, lots of intellectuals and writers and journalists in China are at the moment beginning to compare the environmental catastrophe that is the coronavirus to the permission given to the people in dynastic China to rise up against the celestial empire. Right, okay. Because these were the portents of a change. And this is freaking out Xi Jinping because he was the one who brought that stuff back in. Yeah. So you've got two things coming. It's really interesting. One is the Chernobyl apparatchik technocratic mistake of suppressing all information. The other one is by encouraging people to think in a Confucian way, he actually rekindled Chinese understanding of the forces that were legitimate to actually undermine and rise up against the emperor who he has styled himself on. But they they initially tried to suppress it by the doctor who first reported it. They arrested him, who subsequently died. This is the interesting thing, right? This is the interesting thing. So this guy, Let's go back to Confucianism as well. Yeah, go on. This guy, whose name is Li, Dr. Li, I can't pronounce his second name, but he's Dr. Li. He's the guy with the face mask who died, right? Yeah. So there's two things going on, right? Initially, they sent out another respiratory doctor to say, nothing to see here, it's all going to be fine. He contacted coronavirus. Yeah. And he has become emblematic of the mendacious state. The other one, the younger doctor, who went out and he was the one who in Wunang was seeing people who were presenting for pneumonia, but who weren't responding to the medicine. And he said, this is not right. This is different. Yeah. Because we know it's not pneumonia, but it feels and looks like pneumonia. He has died. He has become a hero, not just because he's a whistleblower in the modern sense, yeah. but we go back to Confucian theory and ideas. And there was always a character in Chinese traditions who was a Confucian scholar who stood up against the emperor, who was undermined by the emperor and the court of the emperor, and particularly the mandarins, only to emerge victorious as the guy who was telling the truth, right? Yeah. And again, it's really, really deep. This was all triggered by my laptop, my electric lead in my laptop broke over the weekend. Right. And I went up the road in Dunleary and there's an amazing little Chinese shop on the main street. Yeah. And there's a brilliant woman. I know her for, for years, buying down phones from her and batteries and everything. Yeah. And she's a total hoot. And I and I, I went up to her to buy the lead. And she always says, I have to give you the original. She hates giving the original. Yeah. She always gives me, I said, I don't want the original. I want to fake everything, right? But she said, I had to give the original. And I said, how are you doing with the coronavirus? Laughing with her. And she said to me, I am from miles away, a totally different part of China. But my uncle, this was the other day, she says, mm. my uncle, I'm on, because they're on FaceTime with each other, or WeChat, the Chinese mm. WeChat, right? And she said, everything's closed in my village. She said, the only things that are open are the food market 
for people to buy some food mm. and the chemist shop or the schools are closed, or the factories are closed, nobody's going out, the whole thing is in total lockdown. But she said, we have closed down the entire country. So this comes back to my idea of the Chernobyl moment, mm. that what happens is you suppress information, it gets worse, then you're playing the catch-up game, then because people are worried about what's going on, because people are beginning to panic, right, the situation gets worse and worse and worse and worse. But interestingly, the Chinese people who are in lockdown in China are talking to their relations in Dunleary. Yeah, and they're yeah. explaining, and this is how panic <laughs> spreads. You cannot suppress this stuff. Yeah. So let's go back to the economics now. Imagine this is China's Chernobyl. Right? Imagine that, right? Yeah. Chernobyl is in 1986. At that stage, the Soviet Union is still top dog, but it has already been getting its ass kicked in Afghanistan by the Mujahideen. Yeah. So its army is losing. At the same time, in the 80s, you have the Solidarity Movement in Poland, yeah. which is actually coming out in a kind of a Catholic revolution. So it's a pincer movement. But what the Soviets believed in was they might not have believed in their ideology, Russian people. And I know this because I was in Russia mm. in the 80s. But they believed in the prowess of Soviet technology. We can send a man to the moon. Yeah. We have the Sputnik. Yeah, yeah. We have the They're army. They're on a par with, with the with states. The rights, and that was the thing. And yeah. we have nuclear power. Yeah. Once Chernobyl becomes known that nuclear power, Soviet scientific prowess, is not only not on a par with the West, but is profoundly dangerous. Suddenly, lots of belief in the rest of the edifice, people say, I don't believe this anymore. Yeah. And it's very clear that Chernobyl was the beginning of the end for the Communist Party, as well as many other things. Yeah. It was part of the But mix. on the flip side of that, though, China has proved itself as, I mean, the being praised by the WHO and lots of others for their approach to containing it, you know, shutting down how many, five cities, like 60 million people. The population of the UK, they have quarantined. Chase, that wouldn't be no bad thing. <laughs> Maybe that could be arranged. Sorry, that's my, that's they my, quarantined that's, themselves. That's, that's my Sinn Féin moment. It just came out. I've my, I found my, my inner Sinn Féiner. See, it's in everyone, out. Mark. It's exactly. in everyone. But go on. So they, but they have shut down five cities, yeah. amounting to about 60 million people, which is phenomenal. And they did it overnight like that. But they've also built two massive hospitals, bigger than the children's hospital that we're trying to build at the moment. And they did it in a week and a half. And they did it in a week and a half. I mean, so it's that, called, that, do you know what it's called? Not democracy. Yeah, well, no, democracy is very, very good for getting people votes. It's very bad for building things. Yeah, yeah, getting things but, done. But let's come back to the idea. That maybe it's not a Chernobyl, but maybe it takes China out of the world economy for a month or two. Just imagine that. Okay, it shuts down in order massive, yeah. to try and actually quarantine everybody. It shuts down. What does that do to the world economy, right? We talked about it last week. We'll come back to it. The supply chain. It brings China out of the supply chain. Yeah. Now, if you look at what's been happening, right, Chinese growth in the last three years, the growth in China has been responsible for more of the growth in the world than the growth of the US, Europe, and Japan combined. Really? The reason this is, is China is growing so quickly. Mm. It's sucking in so many imports. Chinese tourists are all going out and they are spending 
huge amounts. Chinese investors are spending huge amounts. Yeah. So the dynamism in China, even though China is relatively smaller than the US, because it's growing much quicker, it's responsible for more of the incremental growth than the US, Japan, and Europe as at the moment. Mm. So imagine it just stops, it shuts right down. Supply chains, suddenly the Irish pharmaceutical industry stops because the Irish pharma industry gets huge amounts of inputs from China. Right. If you can't get them, you can't have just-in-time production. Yeah. If you can't have just-in-time production, you destroy the supply chain. Imagine Chinese tourists who spend on average $8,000 each when they go abroad. That's twice the amount. Jeez, that's a lot of spending money. They spend like hell, yeah. right? They're not in the game. Take that and then you look at what's happening in global financial markets, which is amazing. It seems to me that global financial markets, like the Dow Jones, is totally impervious to what's happening in China. Because the assumption is that don't worry, the central banks will cut interest rates, inject liquidity again, keep asset prices rising, and we don't have to worry about valuations or economics or fundamentals or all that sort of stuff. It seems to me that the coronavirus has the capacity to, number one, totally undermine China. It could even be China's Chernobyl. It could even cause Chinese people to, for the first time in a century, well, at least since 1947, since the civil war in China, mm. begin to really profoundly question what is going on. Could it lead to another Tiananmen? Very clearly. What does it mean for Hong Kong? It means that maybe a really embattled Politburo taking incoming fire from everywhere is not the Politburo of 2019 yeah. that said, you know, let's be cool with these Hong Kong protesters. Let's Cease to be a priority. Maybe they say, fuck them. Mm. Let's actually go in and sort this out. Oh, we I cannot. Okay. So the relatively chilled Chinese attitude to Hong Kong switches in a crisis to be much, much more dogmatic. And what you find then is what began as an ecological, environmental health tremor, not a disaster, but a tremor, ripples out to become an existential crisis for China, puts them on a collision course with the West as they react in Hong Kong. They're already taking lots of flack from the United States through the trade wars, it strikes me that we could be at a profound tipping point for China. And this has not been priced in to financial markets because financial markets have spent the last 12 years, since 2008, waiting for central banks to inject liquidity and thinking that is going to be sufficient. Maybe, just maybe, it will be insufficient. And what is deeply fascinating, John, is the idea that the coronavirus could signal the beginning of the end of the prosperity that has actually characterized at least the last five or six years in the West. And by that I mean middle classes doing better, property prices rising, stock markets rising, yeah. Yeah. and the West kind of thinking they have fixed the issues from the financial crisis. The coronavirus could turn that completely in its head and the catalyst won't be America, it'll be China. So what could this mean for your man over there 
uh, with the orange face. Did you see the photograph of him with the, with, the hair? Yeah, and the line, the yeah. tan line, it's fantastic. Fake tan, fake hair, yeah. fake teeth, fake, fake president. president. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> well, come here. So this could be a boon for Trump on one hand, where it, a weakened China is just played into his hands and he takes all the credit, as he does anyway, for winning this trade war. And that it could also be a boon for him in election year. On the flip side, if you're saying that the markets are going to take a hammering, then this could all blow up in his face as well. Well, it's true. I mean, Trump has made a huge deal of the fact that the American stock market has never been higher. Yeah. American interest rates have never been lower. American unemployment has never been lower. American incomes have been rising. Yeah. And this is one thing the Democratic Party has found it hard to actually deal with. That Trump just comes back in and says, look, we're doing fine. Yeah. And part of that... He's made America great again. Well, uh, part of that is America first. Yeah. And the idea is that we're going to stand up to China. If this weakens the Chinese materially, it will benefit Trump because he can go and say, look what I've done. Yeah. Again, I think this is the third time we're quoting Napoleon. Yeah. yeah. It's getting a good innings. It's getting a good innings. Napoleon once said, I don't want a good general. I want a lucky general. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Trump is a lucky general. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and the content and the range of ideas. Now, obviously, this costs quite a bit to put together. So if you feel like supporting us, we'd really appreciate it at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. So become a patron. It supports us, but it also gives you access to exclusive one-to-one interviews, one-to-one conversations with some of the world's finest thinkers that you won't hear anywhere else. See ya. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.